I've been trading for over 10 years and in that time period, I made a little over $15 million from day trading. After 2021, when I had a big trading year, I went into building Tradezilla and when I went into building Tradezilla, it was kind of in the phase of very early on. Did you have any mentor teach you trading or was it all just self-taught for you? Uh, it was all self-taught. I always say in terms of mentors, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of videos I saw, so they all compiled as different mentors. You also had to teach yourself business oh yeah what it sounds yeah like. that was hard the business part was hard the the business part at, the, at that time was very difficult because you know you have something that you can scale and grow and build but you don't know how to do it in 2021 to 2020 i had to reinvent myself to become the person i am now to be able to operate a SaaS company right me at 24 could not like it's impossible All right, Umar, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. What is going on, Tim? We've been trying to do this for some time now, right? For some time. I think we've also known about each other for, yeah, for yeah. a while. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I've ran across you maybe like 2019, 2020, like pretty early on. Because trading space, I think you kind of just know who's in it. So Yeah, if you're associated with, with the space, you kind of have an idea. Even when, I, when we Zoomed that day, I knew who you were, but I wasn't sure until we Zoomed. And I was like, oh, man, that's that guy from... From, from the stock navigator stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I had no idea because I saw your dad everywhere. But I was like, wait, oh, it makes sense now. Yeah, I was more behind the scenes building the company. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Nice, man. Well, I'm in Dubai with you. Obviously, you've been here for a little bit of time, but I kind of just want to jump in and talk about like how you got started. First off, like in trading, and then we'll kind of dive into your journey throughout and, and business and, and what you're doing currently. Sure, sure. Uh, so I got started in trading when I was 18. Uh, this was back in 2012 when trading wasn't as popular as it is now. Now everyone is, everyone's a trader, right? Um, started in 2012 and then from there had 20 grand saved up as a high school kid, put in the market, 20 grand went to 35 grand, made money, beginner's luck. That money went down to almost zero. And then from there, it was just kind of like, do I quit? Does this work? Is it a scam? Uh, and then put my head down for the next two years, worked on the craft, worked on actually learning. It took me about two years, two and a half years to become profitable and have an idea about what I'm doing. Uh, and then from there, it's just something I stuck with. And now it's been about 10 years that I have been in this industry, right? So even now when people see me trading or see the numbers that I post, they're like, oh man, there's no way this is real. This guy maybe just started two years ago, three years ago. And I'm like, no, I'm currently 28. I started when I was 18. So I have put in that time and effort in terms of getting good at my craft. So that's yeah, 10 years, is a long time. Yeah, it flies by, it flies by. So it's like, it's like, that was my thing at the time, right? I was like, Hey, if I want to be good at something, right? If I stay alive for a long period of time, there will be a time that I'll eventually and slowly start getting good at it. So with anything, if you, you know, put in, if you put in the reps, if you put in the time, uh, you will get good at it. So for me, it was like, Hey, how do I stay alive in this craft? How do I make sure I don't blow accounts left and right and I don't become like a gambler with trading uh, and I actually have an idea about what I'm doing. So if I can stay alive for a long period of time, uh, maybe it'll take three years, four years, I'll be good. And another thing I did early on was I always kept a large time horizon. A lot of people when they start something, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to start e-commerce one month in and it's like, well, it's not working. Let me go to the next thing. Let me go to the next thing. Let me go to the next thing. For me, it's like, okay, well, let me stick to this for a really long period of time. If I stick to it for a long period of time, slowly and surely things will start clicking. So I guess like throughout that journey, so you didn't you didn't go to college. You just I went for about two to three semesters. 
uh, primarily because my parents wanted me to. Uh, I come from a Pakistani background, so it's like traditional immigrant to, parents. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. That's that's what my parents said. So for me, it was like, hey, mom, I'm gonna take a semester off, and then mentally, it was like, if I take a semester off, I'm done. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And where are your parents from? Uh, Pakistan. Or I'm in, in the U.S. Uh, New York. New York. Okay, so yeah. that's why you were there so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay, so basically took a semester off. What kind of made you jump into the whole online world, like social media, trading, being more public as, as a trader? So early on, it was very difficult for me. Uh, when I first started, I remember I posted my first trade. It's probably still on my Instagram. It was a JCPenney trade. Uh, and then after that, I was always kind of scared of posting money, right? Uh, from my background as well, my family too. It's like, hey, don't post money. You get the evil eye. People pay attention. So for like the first two years, I didn't really post profits, even intraday profits and whatnot. It was more like I'm just sharing my journey, right? That was it. At the time, it pro I probably had 5,000 followers, right? So it's like, hey, I'm just sharing with people I know what I'm doing. I'm keeping them updated, you know, as an 18, 19-year-old kid. And that slowly just started catching traction, right? People started liking it. People liked the realness of, you know, what I shared about trading. Like, hey, trading is hard. It's not easy, right? Uh, and people kind of resonated with that. And that slowly just allowed me to build this following. And from there, it just organically happened. It was never planned. Yeah. Yeah. And what was your main social media channel back then? Just Instagram. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have, I, my Instagram account's been active since 2011. And I think Instagram opened around that time. So it's like right when it opened, that's why even my username is my full name. Cause I was like one of the first early people on Instagram. I wish I went back in time and I, I bought a lot of different domains, but uh, yeah, that was the only social media I had. No Twitter, no YouTube, nothing, just Instagram. Nice. And you started off doing like in-person yeah. stuff at one point, right? Yeah. That's the same as me. I don't know if you know that. Oh no, no I had no idea you did it in person. Yeah, in person. Like I didn't oh. even know about the online space. We were just doing classes in San Jose, California. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow, what year was this? This was late 2018. Oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Wow. I had no idea. I thought you were just in the online space. No. So with that was, I was just doing that. And then basically 2019, I was like, man, it's not scalable. Like yeah. I was, every single weekend, I was hosting seminars, like free seminars for people. And then at, there, I would like, you know, if they're interested, book a call with me. And then we like, I'd pitch them the class and, and show them like how much and, and what it offered essentially. But it's basically the online model in a non-scalable way yeah, yeah. in person. So, Yeah, I was in the same uh, same boat. Um, I remember I did a class first. Uh, it was just for my friends. It wasn't like for people. Like I was in charging for anything. It was like a lot of people asked me, hey, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And I was like, hey, instead of individually teaching people, I'll do like a class. You know, you guys can come. So I did like a seven or eight person class. It wasn't like it was just all over the place. And then when I did it, I just posted it on social media and people liked it. And they're like, oh, how can I, how can I, how can I learn? How can I learn? I was like, oh shit, like, cool. Here you go. I'll, I'll teach you. Here's yeah. a dollar value on how much the ca a class will be. And then I started getting turnaround and turnaround. And then I think 2018 is when I did like my first official class. And um, that's where I realized I was, wow, like people are paying me to learn my craft. And I kept doing that for about a year or so. And then I, I hit the same roadblock where, hey, I'm spending X amount of hours to make an X dollar value and I can't scale this. And it's also impacting my trading now because I can't learn, I can't grow, I can't get better at my craft. So in 2019, I remember I had uh, classes scheduled for London, Dubai, Canada, and I forgot what the fourth place was. 
And I collected the money and everything too. And I just canceled. I refunded every single person. And I was like, I can't do it. I hit burnout. And then I also hit a point where I was like, hey, I have to fly to all these places, which sounded cool when I was like 23 or 22. But now it's at a point where I'm selling my time for, for, for X amount of money, but it's just draining me out and I can't grow it. So from there, I took two, three months back and I was like, okay, well, how do I scale this? Well, okay, if I do something online, instead of me reaching 30 people at a certain time, I can reach 3,000 people or 300 people or, you know, a higher number. And for me, it was like, okay, well, how do I get into the online space? And when I go back into that year, there's so many things I didn't know, like what a CRM is. Like my CRM was uh, 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 not Notion, what was it? Numbers, numbers on Apple. I would put everyone's name in and whatever, all manual. I had yeah. no idea what a CRM was. I had no idea what leads were. I had no idea how to kind of build a business model around that. It was just kind of learning on the go. And then from there, I was like, well, there has to be a better way to do this. Went online, looked at other businesses, looked at other people doing it in different industries. I was like, oh, wow, they're using HubSpot. What is HubSpot? You know, all these different companies. And I was like, okay, now I know how to compile it and put it together. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know you were traveling, like, even across oh, yeah, the world. Yeah, stuff. yeah. yeah. When I was doing the, the three-day classes in person, it's tiring, man. By the end of those three days, you don't want to talk to anyone for weeks. Yeah, that was me. That was me. For me in New York, the crazy thing is in New York, we, we had classes on the weekend. So I used to do two back-to-back. So I used to do one from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then from 3.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., same day. And then tomorrow, the next day, I would do the same thing. And then for a whole week, I don't want to trade. I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to do nothing with any person at all. Wow. So you, you basically hit a point where you're, you're like, I feel burned out. I need yeah, to stop. Yeah, I, was, I got extremely burnt out. And it also got to a point where, you know, when you're teaching basic things to people and you keep repeating it, it just, it doesn't allow you to grow. Like if I keep talking to you about the basics of the market over and over again, it doesn't allow me to grow as a trader. And I started seeing that it was impacting my trading, being, you know, in classroom settings consistently over and over again, people asking me very basic questions, which they're going to ask me, which is okay. That started impacting my trading. And now I'm also like, I'm exhausted. Do I really want to keep trading as much as I used to trade because I'm involved in this so much. So I had to kind of step away from it. Yeah. Did you have any like mentor teach you trading or was it all just self-taught for you? Uh, it was all self-taught. I always say in terms of mentors, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of videos I saw. So they all compiled as different mentors. Like it wasn't like one person sitting next to me and telling me, hey, you're doing this right or wrong. But it was going through multiple different books, skimming through them, going through blogs, going through YouTube videos and saying, well, this makes sense. That doesn't make sense. And, you know, when you put those things together over time, those thousands of people were essentially my mentors. Right. But in terms of having one person by my side now. Yeah. And not only that, you had to teach yourself trading, but you also had to teach yourself business. Oh, yeah. What it sounds yeah like. That was hard. The business part was hard. The, the business part at, the, at that time was very difficult because, you know, you have something that you can scale and grow and build, but you don't know how to do it. Right. So it's like, OK, well, getting a website up. Right. WordPress, you get a uh, you hire someone. Website crashes. You bring in another person, this messes up, you bring on another person. So it's like you're trying to do the right things, but you don't know how to do it as a 23-year-old kid at the time I was 23. So it was like a mental a mental block for me where I was like, well, I know there's something here that I can kind of, you know, create something cool out of, but I don't know how to get it to the world. I don't even, I didn't even understand social media marketing, how to build a social media brand or anything. So learning both things at the same time, trying to evolve as a trader and then business was like very, very difficult. No, I, I believe it because 
my dad is is the face. He's the one educating people. He's the one that taught me how to trade. But if I had to do that and be the face and also build the business, yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah, yeah, it's hard, man. Yeah. It's a lot of time. Like doing one is already a full time yeah. thing. Yeah. So that, that that's exactly how I feel right now with uh, Tradezilla and stuff, which we'll get into trading, building Tradezilla, then doing Blackline. Like I've hit a point where. I, I was like, hey, I think I'm doing too much. But then it was like, okay, well, the only way I can kind of take this on is if I delegate and manage my time better. So over the past few years, I've gotten to a point of knowing how to delegate certain tasks, how to operate the company more efficiently and effectively, where, hey, how do we keep the operations on old companies you know, flowing, where if this was me at 23, there's no way I'd be able to do it. It's impossible, yeah. 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 So I guess like what... um. When did you launch the online program you had? Uh, we launched this at the end of 2019. Okay. Uh, at the end of 2019, that's when we, you know. Dude, I, we, were, we were on the similar timeline. I'm right? realizing that now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because you, you did the in-person and you did the online. We, launched, time. we launched soft launch August 2019. No. Oh, and then yeah. hard launch like later in 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. It's literally the same timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So we launched uh, at the end of the year of 2019. And uh, that did really well. And this is before we had a bunch of traders on social media, right? And that thing just kind of blew up way more than I expected. And at the time, Stock Market Lab was like, every person was going through it. Every person was like a part of it. And uh, it just grew into something way bigger than I ever thought it would become, right? And then I think uh, in 2020 is when I wanted to pivot away from the education space. So there's something about the education space when I was 24, 25 bothered me. Now I've kind of grown out of it. When I was 24, 25, it was kind of like, you know, when you hear people say, oh, well, if he's making so much money trading, why is he selling education? Yep. So for me at that, at that time, it bothered me, right? I was like, well, I don't want to be known as education guy, right? I, I don't want to be known as the guy that has a course. So how do I get into software? So that was, that was one of, one of the few reasons that I had to pivot towards software, right? Uh, call it ego, call it whatever it was, but it was like, hey, I want to build a real business, not to say education space isn't a real business, but something that's like I can build operations, a team, a product, a SaaS company or something that I can step away from education because that education thing kind of bothered me. It's a bad me. stigma, even now, right? So. It, it's gotten worse now, Yeah, right? Now it's gotten worse because now you see a trader, for example, especially in the trading space that started six months ago <laughs> and you know they have a mastermind. Yeah. And I'm like, like, that makes no sense. It's like, it's like those 20 year olds with a life coach mastery program. It, that, that's why it's, it's just gotten bad. Right? Everyone thinks like, they can launch a program. Yeah. And I'm like that, I'm like, that makes no sense. Like you can't, you can't teach someone trading with a six month track record, right? That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But that's where the bad stigma comes around. So it's like, oh, look, another guy or another girl, whatever that's, you know, a stock guru and it's like that name or, you know, kind of stigma just bothered me. Yeah. Which is fair. So I guess like, when did you, when did you stop doing stock market lab? So essentially I stopped in, what, what was it? August of, was it August? It was kind of like around July-ish of 2022, but that year of 2022 was kind of done, right? Uh, we did one launch in 2022 and that was it. I was just at a point where I was like, okay, well, do I want to keep doing education? Do I keep want to be active in a community? Do I want to keep doing that? So it's been about a year and a half now, like no education program at all, no discord, no anything. Right. And for me, it was just 
burnout, uh, also the way the business was built. And we had so many issues in between the business that there was a lot of bad baggage with it. So it was like when we did the in-person classes, people that joined the in-person classes, I was like, hey, you have lifetime access to whatever we do. So then I did online, you know, bad business, business mistake on my end. Now these in-person people randomly wake up one day and they're like, hey, how do we get access to the online program? So I would give it to them for free. Then they would join and then they would come and they'd be active for a month and create so much noise and so much nonsense. So it was just, it was just a lot of different broken pieces of a business because the foundation was never, never strong because I built it at 23. Yeah. So it was like, hey, how do I keep reorganizing this business structure? So for me, it was like, hey, let me just shut it down. Let me see how I want, like what I want to do in the future. And uh, let me step away from education. And the crazy part is when I stepped away, I had my biggest trading year, right? Because you don't have that mental pressure of performing of, okay, I have a group chat. I have to give people a trade recap. I have to give people this. I have to give people that. So that mental pressure of doing all those things allowed me to have my biggest trading year. And then the year after I had a big trading year again. So it's like, okay, well, that did impact me. So now how do I build something if I do build something that doesn't bleed into my trading? Yeah, it's uh, people undermine the the importance of focus. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you think like, oh, maybe it's even just 10 hours a week, 15 hours yeah. a week. It's fine, but it's it's significantly more than that because it's not like you can do two things 50% each. It's it's compounds. And and you know what it is? It, it, it does impact you no matter what. Like when you have, yes, the focus part is very important, but also when you have a personal brand and people are paying attention to what you're doing, especially in a field such as trading, where you have to take, where you are putting on positions on and off consistently, it impacts your mental where you're like, well, should I take this trade? Because now you're like, okay, what if I lose? I have to go to a community and share what I lost. Hey, I'm on a six-day losing streak. Well, if I lose again, that's terrible. Instead of where if I don't have that something, have that to focus on, I can take a seven-day losing streak. I can take an eight-day losing streak. I can work around it. I'm kind of just dealing with myself. Now you're also dealing with thousands of people paying attention to what you're doing. And it creates this mental pressure. So tell me more about your, your biggest trading years. Like how much did you make during those years? I think you have the numbers online. But also like... What do you think contributed towards that? Like aside from the business wise, like just from a trading advice perspective. So my biggest trading year was 2021. It was seven and a half million. And prior to that was two million. The year after was, I think 2022 was like one point something. And my biggest trading year in 2021 was just focus, just locked in trading, locked into my craft, just locked into just, you know, recapping, backtesting, building my strategies, being in tune with the market, and just slowly sizing up, right? As I saw opportunities, I, I sized up. There was also nothing else going on in my life at the time. I was super, super focused just on trading, right? Now, the other times, uh, not to say that I was, you know, I had other problems in life, but there was so much other chaos going on, which was difficult. Uh, also working on TradeZilla in 2022 kind of made me step back from trading. So that's also why the year was at, I think, 1.4, 1.7. I forgot what it was. Because uh, when people see that, they're like, oh, well, how do you go from a $7.5 million a year to a one point whatever? And I'm like, yeah, but I only traded three months. You know, the other time I essentially took off, yeah. right? So the big year was just focus, putting on size. Uh, market also, in my opinion, gave me some good plays that I was able to capitalize off. Right. So it was, a, it was a conjunction of multiple things that just kind of came together. Now, do I think I could do I can have a seven to a ten million dollar year again? Yeah, I think it's possible. Now, am I going to try to do that next year or the year after? No, I'm going to 
just take the market as it comes and put on the trades that the market gives me. And with that mindset, right? So because when I go into 2021, majority of the profits I made came after July, right? So August, a firm, I, took an, I took a firm trade when a firm was at 50, 60 bucks. I don't know if you remember before that huge spike up. Yeah. I took in a firm trade. That trade, I think I netted like one trade 700K, second trade 500K. So I netted like 1.1 on that trade on just a firm. So right away, having that big cushion gave me the massive confidence of like, well, I can put on more size. Because when you're sitting on, let's say, a million dollar profit for a month, you can go into the next trading day and burn 50 grand if you want to call it burning, right? Yeah. You can risk 100 grand if you want to risk it, especially if you have the right setup and you're comfortable on losing that money because you have this big cushion. Now, imagine you have that million dollar month, you go in, you risk 50,000 to make 100, you make the 100. You keep risking 40, 50, 40, 50. You lose some, you make some. But at the end, with that confidence and that size, you're able to have another million dollar month. So that big year also came in conjunction from like the fire start of having a big month from from big days. Now I can put on size because I'm not risking $500 to make these large numbers, right? If I have a hundred grand day, I'm risking 30, 40, 50 grand at times to potentially make that. So when people see these numbers, they're like, oh, well, how much are you risking? And I'm like, 40, 50 grand. And they're like, what? That's so much. I'm like, what do you, what do you think I'm risking to make that? You think I'm risking like $1,000, <laughs> right? So it's in conjunction with that. Uh, and I think all those things together and me just being super focused and in line with the market allowed me to just kind of execute. Yeah. Right? And my execution, I felt, was um, super natural where there wasn't any sort of mental blocks that were making it difficult for me to buy or sell. Like even now or even in the past, I have times where when I'm trying to execute, you hesitate. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Because there's a lot of elements, right? So it's like if you don't trade for three months and you come back. And you're rusty. Yeah. You don't yeah. like, look, if I, if, I, if I take time off and I go into trading two months later, I don't care to risk $200. Like, and I hate to sound like that, but it's like at, at a certain point, you, you want to make the dollar value that you think you're, you're worth, right? So let's say you want to make 20 or 30 grand a trade. That's where your median kind of falls into. So I'm not excited by risking $1,000 or $2,000. My risk is five, 10, 15 grand a trade or sometimes 20. But when you come back, you can't risk 10K, 10K, 10K and you know be wrong six times and you're down 60 grand or you have an 80 grand drawdown. So it, it, it's, it's trying to build that momentum up into your, your profit. And then when you have the momentum and profit, then it's like, okay, now I can go back to my comfortable size or I can go back to the position that allows me to actually take on the good trades. Nice. And so from a psychology perspective, right, would you say that that million dollar affirm trade plus really helped on the psychology side in terms of just pulling the trigger and, and getting in that flow state for you to just take action, buy, sell whenever needed? Or what was that? Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Even in business, right? You're able to like when you, when you look at people that are really successful in business, the reason they're able to execute at a high level is because they've had success, right? You, you, you can't find that many people that have had no success that will execute at a high level, right? The success gives you the com confirmation and comfortability to execute, right? Same thing in trading. When you have achieved a level of success that is proven by having money that you made in the markets that allows you to go and put on trades. So if you're in a drawdown, let's say you start off with 10 grand and you're in a $5,000 drawdown, no matter how good of a trader you are, especially if you're early on, it becomes very difficult for you to put on trades because you're like, oh, I'm, in, I'm in a drawdown. What if I get a trade wrong? What if it doesn't go my way? What's going to happen? But if you start with 10 grand, you're up 15 grand, right? 
mentally you 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 have that cushion mentally you have a level of success to give yourself confidence to take on the next trade or opportunity so those things are really really vital for a trader's success and i always tell people especially people that are struggling give six months to build that if you build that the next two months you'll make more money than you did in your whole trading career because once that's built once that comfortability confidence and cash is built your execution becomes a lot more easier so a lot of times when i take a break my first month, like if you look at my trades all calendar, it's like I made a thousand bucks, I made four thousand bucks, I made three thousand bucks, I made five hundred bucks, and then one day thirty grand. That happens because I'm building that uh, confidence, that comfortability, and that kind of bank role, if you want to call it, to go on and, and take on size. Yeah, momentum. I feel like it's just so underrated yeah. in life. Like you don't talk about it, but if you lose, like last year, I lost a lot of momentum in business. And so once you lose it, I think we're literally on the same wavelength. That was me too. Yeah, really? Yeah. But once you lose it, and I I wrote about this on on Twitter as well, like it took 18 months to rebuild back back that same momentum, which is a long time people don't think about. Yeah, momentum is really hard. It's uh, like I said, it's funny. We're on the same wavelength. That was one of the reasons I moved to Dubai, right? One of the biggest reasons I moved here is because after 2021, when I had a big trading year, I went into building Tradezilla. And when I went into building Tradezilla, it was kind of in the phase of very early on. So a lot of it is just kind of like planting the seeds, putting things in motion and being patient. So it's like for someone that's been hyperactive throughout business for the past X amount of years, it's very hard for me to sit and relax. And then from that point, I was like, you know what, let me just take time off from trading. So I stepped away from trading. And then when I stepped away from trading, stepped away from business, as we were building Tradezilla, my momentum just went to zero, like complete. And then beginning of this year, I was like, hey, I need to build my momentum. And I was like, what is the best way for me to build momentum? I was like, move. Move where? To a whole new country. What country should I go to? Dubai. Why? New time zone, new people across the world. Everything's new. So it's like you're starting from zero, but on a new spectrum, which once you start building that, momentum comes. And literally in 30 to 45 days being here, my momentum just like lifted up so much that it, it went across everything like everything that I've essentially touched this year and not to kind of sound like that but it it grew super fast you go into social media I was like hey I want to take social media serious YouTube boom grew I want to grow Tradezilla from here to here boom grew hey we're going to start Blackline went from here to here boom I want to start doing these activities in my life boom everything just started flourishing that momentum has kicked in so much that even now I'm so hyper attentive to that uh that momentum where I'm like I don't want to lose it so it's like, hey, like this whole summer, I didn't take a vacation for that reason. I was like in the building phase. So I was like, hey, I'm going to stay in Dubai. It's super hot here, which I like because you're not going to do anything. And I'm, I'm just going to keep riding that momentum out. And now that I feel like I have the momentum, it's so much easier to start something. It's so much easier to grow something than if I was to go to zero again. So that momentum aspect is something I think especially people that are building or even trading, having is just kind of like a superpower. Yeah. And I think... For like new entrepreneurs or just like people early on as well, you know what I think it is where people lose momentum too is once you start having traction, it's like you almost want to take your foot off the gas and like celebrate a little bit or just you get distracted with shiny object syndrome, whatever it may be. But I think if you're watching this, you got to just go into the next gear. I think it depends on you knowing what you want, right? I I, Like I, I realized that with a lot of new entrepreneurs a lot where they'll make a million or two million a year and they get comfortable. And I'm like, listen, if, if that's your goal, great. But don't make that and think you're at the top of the hill. Yeah. Where a million or two million a year is like, 
in this world is very like you're you're like a small player. Like there's people that do that in a week to a month, and you're doing that in a whole twelve month time period, right? So it's like yes, if you're getting comfortable for yourself, cool. But in a wider spectrum of things, you're you're a very small player. So for me, that's one thing that I've always kept in my mind. Where hey, I'm doing well, cool. I'll raise the bar. I'm doing well, cool. Raise the bar. And then if I'm ever comparing myself with people, which I don't do, and I don't like to. Uh, focus on it all. I'm comparing myself with the wrong people. So if I feel like, hey, I'm comparing myself to that person, this person, and I feel like I'm better or I have more, well, I'm in the wrong because I'm comparing in the wrong area. Well, when I look this way, well, there's so much more to go, right? So that mindset for me has always helped me stay grounded and always has helped me think bigger and not kind of pause at where I'm at, right? Because I see a lot of people, they, they, they get stuck and they're like, well, I'm making X amount. I'm good. And I'm like, well, there's a lot more don't you know you're not at the top yet yeah what would you say is your biggest motivation driver oh uh, okay so so interesting thing with that so my motivation driver from day one to now has changed so when i was young my motivation driver was money i want to make money by 22 23 i had made a sufficient amount of money where realistically the quality of your life making more doesn't really i don't think really changes so at 22 23 i went through this kind of zone of like what what's next what do i do then that that whole thing shifted where i was like okay well my motivation now is number one i want to push myself to see how far i can go my second motivation is i come from i was born in pakistan so because i was born in pakistan i'm now in america i'm essentially lucky to be in a first world country and have opportunities there's people back home that don't have those opportunities so I could have been one of them. I've essentially gotten lucky because of my parents that I was able to be in America and have opportunities. Now, if I didn't have that, no matter how hard I worked, I would be stuck in one spot. So it's like, hey, how do I now offer opportunities to these kids back home? So like we're building schools in Pakistan and a lot of underprivileged areas. And the goal there is to offer them opportunities to kind of get out of this like rat race. And they're in real rat races where no matter how hard they work, they can't get out of so that's the second part that just kind of motivates me and drives me. And the third is just building. I, I love building, right? Uh, when you look, in, look at the world from like a bigger, bigger spectrum, it's like you're, you, you're, the moment you stop, the moment you quit or you stop or you retire, you're dead, right? For me, I get excitement from building. I get excitement from like taking risks. I get excitement from doing things that are new and learning and growing. I think when I stopped doing that and I kind of took a year off, yeah, it was fun. It was relaxing, but I didn't feel essentially alive. You know, it's like when you're taking these risks, when you're building something cool and you know it's, it, it can work or it can't work and you have to put the pieces together and you're kind of struggling, those things for some people keep them alive. So for me, all, the, all those things in, in conjunction help me just kind of stay motivated and focused. Nice. Do you have anything that you do on a consistent basis that helps you recharge? Maybe it's a hobby on the weekend. What's your, what's your go-to? Oh, uh, right now, not really. I'm trying to get into hobbies. Uh, it's funny, this morning I was looking and taking jiu-jitsu classes or boxing. Um, yeah. Like I want to start something, just kind of stay consistent with it. Uh, in terms of char recharging, uh, honestly, I love reading. Like not like books and stuff, not that I hate reading books, but uh, reading blogs, going on different YouTube videos, not like, uh, like not educational stuff, but just like learning about this business, learning about that business. Sometimes I go on acquire.com and I look at businesses for sale. Right. It's just it's kind of like something fun where it's like it's away from trading. It's away from what I do on like my, my professional life where, hey, let me focus on 
uh, something new, something cool, something that excites me, something that keeps me happy. Uh, and then sometimes it's traveling to different places. Like, hey, let's take a week off and go here. Let's take five days off, go here. Yeah. Uh, let's just kind of switch locations, I guess, right? Me switching my, my environment has always helped me just kind of recharge. Like when I went back to New York uh, two, three weeks ago, it was essentially for that. Not that I was burnt out, but I needed, like I felt like I was in a slump. So I was like, hey, let me just go back to New York. Let me go see my family. It's just getting on a flight, going to a new location just kind of helps me get out of that. Yeah. The, the environment reset is so oh, yeah. underrated because yeah. for me, like I don't really get burnt out. Like I can kind of keep pushing, but I went to Europe a couple months ago or a month ago and just being there for two weeks, like when I got back, I haven't had that good, level right? of motivation yeah. and probably since the beginning of time when I first started business. Wow. What do you think it was when you went there? I think being in the environment where one, I could actually recharge versus like I never even if I have to travel and stuff, I'm always traveling for work and I'm like working nonstop. So like I actually took days off where I didn't work. But number two, seeing like, like I went to Saint-Tropez last summer, but I, I definitely didn't do it right. Cause this, this summer, you kind yeah, of just- I saw, I saw your stories and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a good fun time. Yeah, I saw. But I saw what was actually out there, the potential, the yeah. next level, which I'm sure is similar to what you saw here in Dubai. Yeah. And I was just like, man, like, I've been in a, a bubble, but you don't realize you get into this routine and this bubble. And I was like, okay, like I want to get to this level. So I can't just be complacent and, and yeah. keep doing, it was like a, it was like a hard reset. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's always good when you travel, especially to different places. It also allows you to see things from a new perspective, right? So for me, um, when a lot of times I've traveled, especially to great places, I've, I've had that moment of realization too, like, wow. Like there's so much more out there. Wow. How did this person achieve X, Y, and Z? And then that just kind of opens up your brain to think about so much more. You know, like when I went to Europe last summer, I, I remember I, every yacht I saw I would write the name down and I would look up who owns it and what do they do, right? And then when you look at it, it's like this guy owns a $200 million yacht. It cost him $30 million or $20 million a year to operate it. And you're like, okay, well, holy shit. You know, there's people that don't make that much where people that do make that much think they're they're great. And there's this yeah. guy operating his yacht just off that amount. And it's not that fact of like, oh, I want a yacht, but it's the fact that I want to be able to do it if I want to do it. So how do I follow that footstep? How do I go in his path? And, you know, looking into those people always has been like a huge motivation for me, like Michael Rubin, right? His, his story is like super inspiring. The fact that this guy is like a multi-billion billion a billion dollar guy where he built everything from scratch from his own no handouts no inheritance nothing at all so when you see people's stories you're like wow anything is possible especially if my focus and attention is in the right direction right you can't just work hard at something you have to work hard smart in the right direction like you can be going fast and smart in a very small industry that won't make you the same amount of money so you have to be able to shift and be like okay well what industry can make me that money and when do I go and take the steps to that industry, right? Because like someone can't, in my opinion, start a SaaS company with no cash flow, right? You can't just go and start a SaaS company, for example, where someone can start an education company, build cash flow, move the money, and then keep leveling up. So it's like when you have that plan, uh, it makes things a lot more easier for you over time. Yeah. And I just think like if you're a motivated individual, every few years, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. But people don't realize that you have to do that because it's so easy to get comfortable at whatever goal you set. And if you're if you're motivated, you work hard, you you focus on the right things, 
you'll most likely get there, but then you lose track of like, man, what's next? Yeah. Like I didn't, yes, I, I may have started business for money, but after a few years, you hit the, the amount you wanted to make. It's not about money anymore. And so it's constantly putting yourself in these environments where, where you're pushing. Cause one of my friends is, is also here with me in Dubai as well, but we were talking last night and you know, in, in the U S right. The, the people who have the, the power in terms of companies, if you start a tech company or, or yeah. the VCs, right, they have all this, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in their fund to invest in your company. Well, guess where the VCs go to raise money? Guess who actually has the power? These sovereign wealth funds, right? People are here in Dubai, my friends here, networking with some of these people. And these are the people who hand hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars to the VCs who then invest in companies. So there's always another level up there in terms of who has the power, who has that control. And when you take a step back, you realize like how small in comparison you are to, yeah. to all of these things. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I think uh, the part that you spoke about reinventing yourself is really interesting because I know so many people that from 2015 till now, that haven't reinvented themselves and they hit a they hit a wall of making one to maybe three million a year. And I think that's kind of the wall that most people are stuck at. And, and if you want to be in that area, that's great. But I think the people that get stuck and don't know how to get out of it goes exactly into what you mentioned is reinventing yourself, right? So for me, for, uh, in 2021 to 2020, I had to reinvent myself to become the person I am now to be able to operate a SaaS company, right? Me at 24, could not like it's impossible from the level of thinking I had the level of operation I had was nowhere near what I have now and that required me to you know redevelop myself recreate myself learn new skill sets put myself in new environments and putting myself in new environments like that just helped me pick up new skill sets like last summer I went to uh I went to a SaaS event uh I was in a room uh with like 12 people CEO of Pendo which is a billion dollar company and a few other big companies and um you know, in the trading space, I somewhat have a name. So it's like if I meet traders or I go into a trading room, people know me and there's a level of respect. So when I went into this room, I know nothing. These people don't give a shit about me. So from like a mental standpoint, it's like, wow, I'm a really, really small player where this guy's running a, a billion dollar company. That guy's running a $500 million company. That guy, his company's worth $700 million. So how do I get myself to that level instead of being like, no, I'm better than them. I, I have ego or whatever the case is. How do I learn from them? How do I know the things that they've done? How do I get in conversations with them? So it's like putting yourself in those predicaments and learning and growing is kind of a key factor for people that are maybe stuck. Even people that are stuck at 100K or 200K a year, how do you get yourself to that million? And that goes into exactly what you said, reinventing yourself. Absolutely. So tell me more about about Tradezilla because uh, you don't have any coding or programming experience. Oh, no, no, no. So just from what I know from friends as well as starting SaaS companies, if you don't, it's it's. An, I mean, even if you do have coding experience, it's very very tough to start a SaaS. So how has that journey been for you in terms of starting Tradezilla and especially the early days for anyone listening who wants to start their own SaaS company? Because I'm sure you've made a handful of mistakes now. Oh yeah. So, uh, so when I first started, uh, I just threw money at it. Right, so I was trading and obviously I'm making good money from trading and everything else. So I was like, hey, I'm gonna start a company. I hired a comp I, I wanna start a SaaS company. I hired a company to code and do everything and I just threw money. What do you guys want? Cool, here you go. That was a big mistake, right? My 
problem with that was you you have to find you have to essentially build your own company build your own team you have to kind of have some sort of knowledge of what you're building so i have no background knowledge in tech at all and just to kind of take it a step back the idea of tradezella has been in my head from 2019 but i was always scared to execute it right it's like every day i would wake up and i was like no i, I don't know how to do it i have no idea how to how to do this a month later i'd pop up and i'd say you know what i'm gonna do it a month later no i'm not gonna do it so for like a whole year it was a back and forth and initially, I was like, hey, I want to build something for in-house for essentially myself. I was doing a trading floor in California at the time before COVID shut it down. I was like, I'm just going to build it in-house. Then when I was thinking about building it in-house, I was like, you know what? It'd be great if I can build a mass tool for everyone. And a lot of back and forth mentally. Then when I, that mental back and forth kind of moved back, one day I just signed with the company. I said, hey, let's build this. And I gave them the contract. Different, now, different company now. No, this was the first company. So okay. I gave them the money. Uh they, they started building and uh, I didn't know what they were building. But one thing I've learned early on is anytime you do anything, get multiple opinions. So even if you go to a doctor and one doctor tells you something, go to three other doctors. Don't give them any like heavy context of what the other guy said. Just say, hey, this is a problem I have. What do you think? What, what should I do? So when they were building six months later, I took this code and I asked for other people, for other CTOs, companies. And I was like, what do you guys think? They all gave me similar outputs. Like, hey, this is what we think. It's not scalable. Uh, there's no proper testing done. Uh, you know, the code for what you're building isn't going to work, especially when you add a certain amount of user base and so on. So I took a step back from them, and they, they also didn't hit deadlines. So now at the end of 2020, I'm at a place where I have a product that has shit code. Uh, I spent six figures plus on it, and I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. Right? So now I'm like, well, do I script this project and and mind you i posted on social media already we're starting this i'm like we're going to launch at the end of the year because they gave me a deadline we're going to launch at the end of the year and i have nothing so now i came to a point where i'm like okay well do i just cut this project off because now me focusing that project is taking away time and energy for me that i could be making money elsewhere so at the time i'm like okay well a part of me is like let me script the project let me just scrape it let me leave it and then I put it to the side for a couple of weeks. And then from there, you know, I, I, I've always had this thing where I want to build big companies. Right? I don't know what, but whatever it is, I want to build big, big companies. And I was like, you know what? Every person is going to deal with these problems early on. But the difference is those people are able to get beyond it. So I was like, I just got to figure out a way to get beyond it. So what I did in February and January of 2021 is I scheduled interviews and calls I, I kid you not, I have emails and everything with over a hundred different people slash companies. And the reason I did that was I, was I was like, the best way for me to learn is take this to people and say, what would you do? I want to know what you guys would do. Don't tell them I have no tech experience. Just be like, I want to hear your thoughts. After having calls with so many people, different people, I was able to compile the right approach to take. Because now I'm getting free consultation essentially, right? Because it's like, hey, imagine I come to you and I'm like, hey, Tim, what do I do about this trading strategy? I want to work with you. What do you recommend? Now, when I started having these calls with people, I started putting together, okay, who, wh what do I need to look for in the team? What, what's the hiring process? What qualifications do they need to have? What are the consistencies of things they said I should be doing? Okay, this makes sense, this makes sense. So now I was able to narrow it down of how I wanted to move forward. So after those two months, I was then able to get in contact uh, with the team. Uh, I was able to get in contact with a guy who has a private team uh, and they built Calendly. Right. Uh, are you, are you, yeah. 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 Is it legit? yeah. They, so. they, yeah. They built Calendly. Calendly is valued at three, four billion dollars today. 
and they were their initial founding team. So I spoke to CEO, his name's Yaroslav. We kind of came to an agreement. I showed him what I want to build, what we want to do. And he was really excited about the project. And then from there, we brought on one guy in-house from their team to us. We started cleaning up the code, which took about six months. Then we started adding another engineer. We kind of put, put a team together. Then we got a third engineer and we started making the code base uh, scalable, workable. We added a few features. And then in 2022 of March, we launched, right? We just said, hey, we're going to launch. We're going to push the product out. And from there, we, we launched and we just started slowly building the team. And there were times in between in between where I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to. I want to do this because I have no experience, right? I have no idea what we're building. I have no idea what we're doing. And for me, it was just, hey, I have to learn as I go. And as I learned what's going on the development side, what they're building, what the process is, what the deployment schedule is, how we're deploying, uh, all of those things, how we're testing, then it was like, okay, well, now I need to learn how to build the product, how to be a product manager, right? How to hire teams for SEO, right? How to market, how to grow the business, how to look at churn, how to look at why people are canceling, how to look at how people are using the platform, right? Because you can hire people, but you need to know what you're going to do to lay out the description of the job and know what to look for when you hire people. So for me, it was learning all those things, learning how to be a better boss, if you want to call it, or a CEO or a better operator, how do we effectively, you know, move as a team? How do we stay aligned? Because, you know, the f key founding people you have on your team are very, very important. So we just uh, went from there. And uh, now the company, you know, with revenue-wise, uh, we have a high eight-figure valuation, right? We're growing super fast. In the second year, we grew 300 to 400%. And this is what the company that already did 7 million ARR in year one. Right. Wow. So year one, we already did seven million, a uh, uh, seven figure in ARR in year one and year two, we're looking to triple or quadruple that. Right. And that's just year two. So it's like the, the growth that we've had in two years and the success we've had. And, and the crazy part is we've only built 10% of what we're trying to build. Right. The long term vision is to build a social platform. Right. Where you can follow me. I can follow you. Uh, you can see my strategies. You can see what I back tested. You can see what trades I've taken. I'm verified. I'm not verified. What broker I'm using. Uh, you know, alerts I'm giving out. Trades I've taken. You can click on the trade and say, "Oh well, Tim for you know December made twenty two percent. These are the trades verified because it's synced to your broker. These are the alerts he gave. These are his strategies, playbooks. These are his back testing strategies. Right. So putting all of that in one house in terms of then offering education, a marketplace for education. So we have like a huge extensive roadmap for the next two years. And my plan is to do that without getting any outside funding. So even now we've raised zero dollars outside. Everything wow. is in-house and uh, I'm planning to keep it that way. And my thing with, with that is just I'm having I'm having such a fun time building, just just building, uh, you know, working with the team. Uh, rolling out new features, uh, dealing with stupid problems, which we deal with tons of stupid problems. Like right now, TD Ameritrade got bought out by Charles Schwab. Yep. And when they got bought out, TD Ameritrade shut off their syncs. So all our users that are synced, their accounts are synced with Tradezilla because their data is going into Tradezilla, all stopped overnight. So you can imagine the customer support reps, the issues, the problems. So it, it, it's it's fun, cool problems, which I'm grateful for. But uh, it, it is a very tough thing. And my thing with anyone wanting to start SaaS is unless you have cash flow coming in or unless you have a substantial amount of cash, don't start it. 
Yeah. Because uh, whatever I expected to spend, I tripled. I triple spent that. Whatever timeline I had of, of completing the project, it just the timeline went on and on. Like my vision early on to what the vision is now is a lot different. The vision now is way more different than what it was. And now it's like, hey, how do we build this to a three to $500 million company by 2026? Like that is the goal. Like how do we get to that valuation? Uh, how do we get a million users in 2025? Like there, there's things in place that we're trying to do. And the, the, the great thing is we're trying to do it without raising. Like I don't want to raise. I want to yeah. be a full private company that's able to get to these numbers on its own. Yeah, and it sounds like at the rate you're going, you you can get there without funding. So yeah, yeah. Uh, see, the thing with funding, I my eyes opened up to a little bit more recently. Uh, just for anyone looking at it, funding could be good or bad, especially if you pick the right partners. Sometimes when you get funding from the wrong partners, they will come on your board and dictate everything. And my thing is, I I don't want anyone to come on and dictate. My my thing is, I'm having fun building this, and I want to keep building it the way we're building it. And if someone comes on board and they're like, well, we want to do this. Well, let's focus on profit. Let's focus on revenue. Let's not focus on this. It just kind of makes things very difficult, you yeah. know? So I guess like talking about like cash flow and timeline, what do you think is a reasonable amount to invest into an MVP and timeline for that, especially for a first time person? <sighs> it depends on what, um, what your product is, right? Uh, I would suggest anyone that is trying to build a SaaS get a technical co-founder, right? If I could go back in time, it's worked out now, I would look to get a technical co-founder and try to find someone that can build the product and has experience, right? If not, if you don't have the technical experience, you are going to go through a really, really tough time. I think the only person I know that, of course, there's definitely way more people that have done it. Alex Becker, he's built Tyros. Yeah, he sold for 110 million. He didn't have any technical, you know, background at all. So he's one person that I, I know has done it. But majority of people have failed without having the technical experience. Uh, so have a technical uh, co-founder if you can. If not, you need to learn the process of how everything is done on the coding side. Not that you don't need to know how coding is is done, but you need to have the proper team that you can vet for. And you need to understand what the process is of building whatever you're building and what the infrastructure is. Now, in terms of cost, it's all different on what you're building, right? The, the, the step is to build an MVP, right? If you do have an idea, build an MVP, build the main easy kind of component. It's, and for people that don't know what an MVP is, the idea of an MVP is imagine you're building a luxury car, right? Now, you're not going to go and build out a luxury car on day one. What you're going to build is you're going to build a car that moves that has some sort of one level of luxury, and you're able to get one sort of customer base on into the car. Then from there, you start building after you see people like your car. This product is viable. People do like this product. The It does have a product market fit. And then from there, you slowly start building the, the product, right? Most people, they either spend too much on MEP. And like I said, it's hard to say what amount you should spend based on the projects. Like I know people that spent 50,000 on an MVP and I know people, people that spent $3 million on an MVP because they have two different yeah. products. So it, it's contingent on what you're building. So I guess like where, uh, where do you balance your time now between trading, between Tradezilla and you have black line as well. Like how are you kind of balancing your time? So because I'm in Dubai, uh, my life's a lot easier here, right? Because when I was in New York or Miami, it's like I wake up. I'm not a morning person, by the way, right? So yeah. I hate waking up at like 7, 8 a.m. It's like the worst for me. So 
in New York, it's like I wake up trading. By the time you're done, 11 a.m., 12 p.m., you're kind of done. You're like mentally exhausted. Yeah. You have a good day, bad day, whatever the case is. Where here, it's essentially easy for me because, you know, I'll have days I wake up at 9 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and I don't have a rush to be somewhere. So my days start off super slow into like I'll have breakfast, I'll go to the gym, I'll have my coffee, and then I'll, I'll get to the office maybe at 11, maybe at 10, maybe at 12, depending on how I'm feeling that day. And then from 12 to 4 and 4 p.m. in Dubai is 8 a.m. Eastern time, so about an hour and a half before the market opens, I have four hours of deep work or whatever I want to do. So the way our company operations are, we operate everything off Slack. We use communication for development team. And then we have Jira for them. And then for overall organization, we have Basecamp. So we use Basecamp and we move off two-week sprints. So it's like every two weeks, we have agendas that we want to achieve. Like, hey, on development, these are things we want to build. These are things we want to fix. On design, this is what we want to design. On the marketing team, this is what we're pushing out as a feature. On customer service team, these are the new things coming out. These are things you need, you need to be aware of. On the overall organization team, these are the other things we want to work on. This is the agenda for two weeks. So we lay out the agenda. And then for those two weeks, operating and managing and all that takes one one hour a day just to be on top of it. Because now my role is more so like, okay, well, how are these things moving? We're moving with SEO. Is this the direction we want to go in SEO? These are partnerships and affiliates we're doing. Is this the direction we want to go in? Uh, what is the Q4 planning? Uh, what are we working on the product? What are the roadblocks in the product? And that's where an hour, two hours of my day goes, right? Sometimes that becomes four hours. Sometimes it's one hour. Sometimes it's more or less. Yeah. Then from 4 p.m. onwards, it's trading time for me, right? So, hey, let me close everything. Let me go on my trading computer at 4 p.m. And then from 4 p.m. to about 8 p.m. I trade. And then after that, depending on the day, I'm free. My other new thing I added this year is content. Like I've been like on YouTube more and everything. Yeah. And a lot of people probably see my content because you're seeing me in a lot of different places. And it's like, how much, how much time is this guy spending? I spend four hours max a week in content, not more, right? And those four hours consist of me coming up with the idea of what video I'm going to talk about, uh, coming up with, uh, you know, how I'm going to put the video together, shooting the video. That is it. And four hours is like on the high end. There's weeks I'll spend two hours. Then the people on the team, they're taking that YouTube video, clipping it up for short form, getting interviews like this, clipping that up for short form, and then pushing out that YouTube video. So... My thing is always, how do I maximize my time in any single situation that I'm in? So for content, it's like, hey, I'm spending four hours a week on it. And then even content, I see people talk about it. They're like, why is this guy focused on content? It's because he's making more money on YouTube than he's making in trading. I'm like, bro, YouTube does not pay. Like right now, my YouTube is actually doing well. Uh, right now, it's paying like 10 grand a month, which is like more than I ever thought. But yeah. still, I'm like, I'm like 120 grand a year on YouTube is like... <laughs> like, it's not going to make me quit trading, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so it's for me, it's just managing my time like that. And just uh, my, my days are also very erratic. It's not my days aren't always scheduled. And then there's days I don't have meetings. I will not go and meet people. I will not go out. I just want to be in kind of my own zone. Like, hey, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to get my shit done, blah, blah, blah. But then there's days I'm like, okay, well, these are meeting days. These days I'll go out. I'll meet with this person. I'll do a pod. I'll go and, and have calls or whatever I have to do where I'm interacting with people, right? So having my days and weeks set up like that allows me to kind of work more effectively. And then also, like I said, with the sprints, 
hey, some two weeks sprints, I'm hyper-focused and I'll kind of take a step back. Some uh, weeks I'll be kind of, you know, more in like the workflow zone and some weeks I'm just kind of relaxing. So it all, it all, it all depends. And I also think it's, it depends on your personality type, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Nice. I mean, it sounds like you're jam-packed from morning till 8 p.m. No, I, it's, it's weird. Some days I have a, have, like today I have a pretty open schedule, right? Like yeah. there's days I, I purposely leave my schedule open, right? Then like yesterday my schedule all day was terrible, Right. It's just I had meetings to calls to things that we have to do for Q4. Uh, so, yes, it was super, super packed. But then today is it's like open. So it's either super packed or open. I, I don't like to keep days where it's like in the medium. Right. Yeah. Because then it's like, OK, well, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? So it's like, hey, we have this pod. I kept it open on purpose. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, I know I don't have much stuff going on. I had a call in the morning uh, at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. And that was it. Everything else nice. is free until like trading. And then day, it's even with trading, like today, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to trade. So it's, it, yep. it just works back and forth. That's good that you have that, that flexibility. Yeah. So I guess, tell me more about the, the social media. Cause I know that was a big thing for you when we last spoke and, and it sounds like you've, you've obviously grown a significant amount. Like congrats on 500 K on, oh, on thank YouTube. You. Thank you. But what would you say was that big driver? Cause I know you've been putting out videos for a while now. What would you say change going into to this year, aside from the Dubai environment change that really helped expedite your growth? I think this is the only time I've I've taken it serious. In the past, I've never taken content serious. Even when I upload it on YouTube, it's like I would upload on YouTube and I wouldn't upload another video for two months. Then I would upload for a week and then I'd, I'd disappear. So nothing was planned. So now everything we're doing has been planned. Where it's like when I when I started, uh, we started taking content serious like April-ish. We started pushing stuff out in May. So it's May, June, July, August, and like September, five months. May, we were at a beginning of May, we were at about 200,000 subs. I think today we're like 500 something, right? So we added 300K in five months, which is pretty a strong growth, yeah. right? Uh, and for me, it was just intentfully trying to grow the socials. Hey, how do we grow? And and even on YouTube, I'm on top of it. It's not like I'm giving it to someone and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, pushed away. I'm looking at, hey, what titles are we going to put? What are the thumbnails we're going to put? What does my audience want? Right. What do they care about? And my thing is, if you want to grow a brand, right, your job is to give away everything. Right. Like right now in my YouTube, I'm not selling anything. I'm not selling a program. I'm not selling a course. Uh, I've never even on my YouTube ever even even stock market lab. I've never sold on YouTube. I've never said, hey, go buy it. My thing has always been like, hey, offer value. If I do sell something and people want to buy, they will find what I'm selling. Right. But my main focus on growing my brand uh, has been two. Number one. Uh, I want to share the right way of day trading. So if you watch any of my YouTube videos, there's not a single one where I'm like, well, go buy my course to learn more. I'm going to reveal everything in my course. If I'm talking about a certain topic, I will share everything I know about that topic on the video where I'm giving you value. That's number one. Number two, it's a big driving force for Tradezilla. Like those two things go hand in hand where it's like for me to reach an audience and bring them a tool that brings them benefit from a business point of view is massive because I have zero dollars in spending money. Like I don't have to spend money on acquiring customers on Tradezilla. If I ever do come out with a product, I have this loyal audience, right? So it's like having a million YouTube subs, right? Especially if you're in the right field is worth eight figures plus if you know how to monetize it and if you know how to grow it, especially if you're good at what you do. Yeah. So right now, it like I said, it's been also easier because I'm not selling anything. Like even like Discord or nothing. So I'd say I think when people are coming across from me, they're like, okay, well this guy is not 
pushing anything. He doesn't have a link to go buy X, Y, and Z. And that essentially builds trust. And I want to keep it that way, right? Not, not to say I won't sell anything in the future or whatnot, but if I do, it will not be shoved down people's throat. It will not compromise the content I put out. It will not say, well, hey, if I'm you know, talking about footprint charts or order flow, I'm not going to reveal everything in the video so they can go buy my course. It's like, no, if you watch my video and you support me, here's the value I have for this. If you want more, sure, there's here. But if you don't want it, you can get everything from here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and so basically they'll find Tradezilla organically just from watching your, yeah, your videos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. it's also where my, my thing with my thing with products and services if is, is build a product so good that people, no matter what, will use it or want it, right? So it's like iPhones. We can talk all the shit we want about iPhones and we can talk about, oh, wow, they came out with another phone. It's the same. You're going to go buy it. Yeah. Right. They'll come out with the same laptop next year. You're going to go buy it. It's like barely better, like exactly. barely faster. You right. Can't even tell. But because they built such a great ecosystem, such a great product that they will dominate that space. So for me, it's always been like we've so till now and Q4, it's going to change. But until Q4 this year, we've spent zero dollars in marketing, not a single dollar for Tradezilla. We've we poured into any sort of marketing budget at all. Everything has been organic. And then even beyond organic, everything has now grown to other traders wanting to use the platform because we focused on making the product good, right? So my thing is if you make any product or service good and you focus 80% in that, it will sell itself. People will want it. So when people see me talking about journaling, my job is to position Tradezilla in a point where Tradezilla pops up. They're able to know that that's a journaling tool. They can try using it and go, wow, it is good. I like it. Where I don't have to spend all my time and money on marketing it. Instead, let me put that into building it into a great product. Cool, man. Well, I want to wrap up on one note, which is tell me about the pros of Dubai. And we were talking a little bit before this, but you've lived everywhere. You live in Miami, you know, close to L.A., you live in New York. Like what what really attracts you to Dubai right now? Uh, so a few things I, I like about Dubai, I think, uh, number one, safety, right? Uh, New York is not safe. You know, I, I know a bunch of people that were, that were nice watches, watches got stolen, people getting mugged. Uh, so it's like, if you go out late at night, you go anywhere, you don't have that aspect of safety. Hey, someone going to run up on me. So safety is number one. Uh, then you go into environment. I think the environment here is so good where you, I've met such great people doing great things here because you're going to meet two types of people here, right? People that are the working class here that are working and operating here, or you're going to meet people that have flown in from other countries, moved here, and are trying to build something cool, right? Be it in e-commerce, be it in crypto, be it in trading, be it in real estate, whatever the case is. So you're able to connect with a lot of great people in a, in a small city because Dubai is relatively small, right? So if you're in one side, to get from one side to another side is 25, maybe 30 minutes if you want to give or take, right? That's that's one pro. Another pro is I love the timing here for me because New York Eastern time starts at like 5 p.m. So it's like if you have the whole day until 5 p.m. to do whatever you want, you're not getting distracted by people. You're not getting distracted by work, by emails, whatever. You can do deep work. And then from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., three hours, you deal with the 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. time, trading, non-trading related, whatever, and you're able to get everything done. So I, that for me has been huge and just, just a new environment shift, right? Just small stuff like when you go in a car, it's not miles, it's kilometers. When you look at weights, it's kilos and not, you know, pounds. Small things like that. Um, you also start seeing like a culture shift, right? 
Uh, so all of those things, you know, in conjunction kind of, I think, make this place great. And uh, living in California, New York, and, you know, Miami, and now here, I would put this as number one. Well, 100%, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the pod today. I, you, man. I know we've been uh, trying to get it on the works for a while. We need to have you on in Miami as well. Oh, yeah, we got to do it, man. So sounds good. Appreciate you coming on, Omar. Appreciate you, man. Thank you.